All right, good evening, everyone. Welcome back. We're getting together to celebrate the wrap-up of another amazing week spent in such amazing company and uh, spending the celebration of that amazing week and also Vaitar, an amazing company. And Rabbi Yisai, uh, thank you all for joining, coming out for another Chumash and Shalom Shir and um, thanking the Rebbe Yisrael for giving us such a beautiful week and Kach Baruch should give us a beautiful Shabbos to cap off a beautiful week and give us Many, many, many beautiful weeks to come. Chaim, Chaim. Yes, he used to be your chametz. I see you be your chametz in earnest. A lot of chametz together. If that's right, be your chametz. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure he wasn't the first one that did this. But I had a chaver um, in in uh, Eretz Yisrael, American fellow. It was a neighbor of ours that the Shalchmanas on Purim. He, he uh, gave two items, because you only have to give two items. He gave a bottle of beer. It was uh, Maccabee, maybe, Maccabee beer. And a package of Osim crackers. You know, they have Osim crackers in there, so Osim crackers. And his theme was, it was, it was beer and Osim crackers. So he wrote on the outside of the package, beer Osim yachad. <laughs> beer Osim yachad, beer Osim yachad. Okay, anyway, I'm sure he wasn't the first one that thought of that, but he was someone that was very excited about that kind of thing, beer and yachad. But, but what did that have to do with uh, tonight's beer? We have beer chametz and beer on the table, and beer, we don't have beer osam yachad over here, but maybe we should. But let's get back to the parsha. Let's get back to the parsha, Rabbi Yisai. Um, <clears throat> so it's a big week, a packed week, packed, packed, packed week. Vayakel, Pekudai, Shavs of Orchem, and it's uh, Brian's Oifruf, Brian Wagon's Oifruf, right? Yes. That's right, Brian Wagon's Oifruf. That's beautiful. Um, simchas and celebrations by all of us. Mitzvah Shem, looking forward to celebrating everybody. Everybody's Oifruf and everybody's Chasen over here. The right time. Um, so we're going to try to focus on a few elements. Something maybe from the parish itself, from Vayaka Pekude. And something from Hachodesh. Hopefully, we'll have time to touch on the parsha and touch on Hachodesh, the special parsha that we that we add on for Maftir, um, for the fourth of the four special weeks. So Vayakov Akuda. Let's talk about that first. That's clearly the wrap of the roundup of the whole Malechus Hamishkan. We have it again, massive bumper uh, parsha is back to back with giving over all the instructions Vayakov and all the construction in Pekude. and. Um, This gives us an opportunity to um, focus in maybe on one of the details of Mishkan and what Chazal tells us about that specific detail, really a specific material of the Mishkan. And that material is um, wood. Wood, acacia wood, atzeshitim. Atzeshitim, acacia wood, mentioned in um, once again in, uh, in in the beginning of Ayakel, we tell all the Jews to bring forth all the materials to build the Mishkan Mazov, Kesef, Nechayshes Tcheles, Argama, Tcheles, Shani, V'sheish, V'izim, Oyrz, Elim, Adamim, Oyrz, Tchashim, V'atzei, Shitim so most of these items they had in the desert, Zov and Kesef obviously have plenty of gold and silver from the spoils of Egypt Tcheles, Argama, Tcheles, Shani, that's Silk, they, they had fabric that they brought out of Egypt with them. Um, Egypt was known for its silk. 
and they had also the sheep with them. They had plenty of tchais and that's, that's wool dyed different colors. Izim is, is is goat skins that have been uh, goat hair that's been uh, woven. So they had all this stuff with them, and then the last item on the list is is atzei shitim is acacia wood. Acacia wood is is a, is a, not such a common kind of wood. It's a nice kind of a wood, not such common wood, and you definitely don't find acacia wood in the midbar. And Rashi famously comments on this and asks, where did the Jews get all this wood from? A lot of wood went into the Mishkan. Wood was needed in the Mishkan specifically in two places. Wood was needed in the Mishkan for the the um, the construction of the Mishkan itself, the tabernacle itself. Wood was needed for the the all the the, the, the support columns, the the beams that were that formed the walls of the Mishkan, north and south and west. Those were the the the, the beams that were wood that was coated with gold and wood was there in addition to the the the, the, the these these um beams pillars that that formed the walls of the mishkan the walls were held in place with poles wooden poles so the wooden poles that ran through the beams and ran next to the beams and formed the core of the beams was all acacia wood, and that's quite a lot of wood. You think about it, quite a lot of wood goes into the Mishkan. Where'd all this wood come from? So Rashi brings down an interesting medrash. Rashi brings down a medrash that says like this. Um, Here's Rashi that Yaakov Avinu foresaw that his descendants would be building a tabernacle, a Mishkan, in the the, um, desert. And he foresaw that they were going to need wood, acacia wood, to build this mishkan. So he brought down with him acacia seeds. He planted a whole forest of acacia trees in Egypt. And he commanded his sons. He said, you know, when you guys leave Mitzrayim, make sure you chop all these trees down with you. Make sure you bring them on your way out. You're going to need these trees. Trust me. So Kleiser the Mesoira, we had a, like, a, like a, a will that was given over, the tzava, Instructions that have been given over from the Zayda Yaakov that on your way out, you know, there's a in Goshen, Baisais and Goshen, where the Jews lived, there's a whole forest of acacia wood. And Yaakov Avinu, the Zayda Yankov, had given instructions to the, the to the Yidden, make sure you chop all these trees down, take them with you. Now who's gonna who's gonna challenge and ignore the instructions of the Zayda Yaakov Avinu, the Hilagazeda? So Klaisol, on their way out, they chopped all these trees down and they, they took them with them. So they found themselves taking lots of lumber. Took a lot of lumber out of, of Egypt with them. Not knowing why. Then there was the instructions of the Mishkan, they understood why. Okay, it's a beautiful measure, it's a beautiful chazal. Um, the question is like this. There's got to be a deeper meaning behind this measure. There's got to be deeper significance. And what I mean to ask is as follows. When we have such a... a, a, um, a, a uh, Anecdote that Chazal share with us that the the wood from the Mishkan, you know how the wood came about. It, these are never just stories, right? Midrashim and Gemaras aren't there to share stories with us. Not like story time, um, story time with the sages. They're never stories. Rather, they're they are statements of significance. And the trees could have come from anywhere. That's really the, the best way to to start off with asking the question that has to be asked is the trees could have come from anywhere. Yeah, they need acacia wood to make the trees. And Hashem knows that also. 
So it didn't have to be Yaakov foreseeing that in prophecy and bring the trees down and planting them, bring the seeds and planting them, telling his kids to chop down the trees. You know, if God needs acacia wood, there's plenty of ways that God has to provide the acacia wood. God could have made a whole, a whole, a whole forest of acacia wood in, in, in some random spot in the desert and have the Jews camp out there right when they're ready to make the Mishkan. God could have had wood merchants, wood merchants from, from um, Washington, Washington State, wood merchants, um, uh, the, the, the lumberjacks coming down um, the Nile River, down to the, to the Dead Sea or to the Red Sea or to the wherever, to the Persian Gulf. So wherever you want, we could have had lumberjacks coming by, offering the Jews a good deal on a lot of surplus lumber. There is, you know, no lack of ways. There's a lot of ways that Kodesh Baruch Hu has of pulling off anything that he needs to be pulled off. So if, indeed, acacia wood is needed for the construction of the Mishkan, we didn't need it to be Yaakov Avinu, his initiative, his planting it, and, and Jews taking it out with them. There's a lot of different ways they could have come up with acacia wood. Why then... Was it taka orchestrated through Yaakovino? Why was it given to Yaakovino to do? The answer is the beginning of the answer, which is really just going to lead us to a question, which is going to have to lead us to the greater answer, is that clearly there is some significance in it being Yaakov. It has to be Yaakov's chalik. There's some kind of link between Yaakov and the Mishkan, and Yaakov specifically in the wood of the Mishkan. It, it, that's very clear. That's the first step. It's very clear from this medrash, from this chazal, that it wasn't just that, like, okay, Yaakov had this prophecy and he told his kids to do it. The reason why Yaakov had the prophecy and the reason it was given to Yaakov to do it is because Yaakov needs to be the one to do it. So then the greater question that leads us to is why? Why, why Yaakov? Why does Yaakov have to be involved in Mishkan? Why does he have to be involved with the wood? And why do you have to come from Yaakov in his initiative? Again, there's so many different ways that Kosh Baruch could have supplied us with the wood. The gold and silver came from the spoils of Egypt, and, 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 and the garments came from here, and the wool came from here, and the sheep's wool came from here. The wood could have come from anywhere, yet it came specifically, necessarily from Yaakovinu. Why is that? There's some connection over here, an intrinsic, inherent connection between Yaakov and the Mishkan, and Yaakov and the wood of the Mishkan. So this is... <coughs> An area I think that behooves it to explore as we make the wrap up and the roundup of the Mishkan. So a very very basic um, topic in the Mishkan itself. What was the, the the necessity of this? But again, the the first the first point of development over here is just to realize that this is a question that needs to be asked, a question that can be asked, and a question that needs to be asked. We need to understand the connection between Yaakov and the Mishkan. We're allowed to ask this question because Chazal never giving us stories, always giving us statements of significance. Therefore, we need to ask this question. We need to understand the connection, the significance of Yaakovino and the wooden, wooden, wooden materials of the Mishkan. So, let's take a step back then. To answer that question, I think we have to take a step backwards. And we have to ask some other questions. Um, what exactly was the function, the purpose of the Mishkan? What was the purpose of the Mishkan? What was the purpose of the Mishkan? Mm -hmm. For Hashem to be among Israel? What? For God to be among the Israelites? Okay, a beautiful answer. Everyone hear what, what, what David is telling us? Um, for God to be among Klaisro, to be amongst us, right? And that is definitely... Um, 
valid. And let, let, let's 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 break that down and 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 analyze and explore what David just said. Everyone heard what David asked, uh, answered. I asked the question: What was the purpose of the Mishkan? David said, "For for God to live amongst us, to live amongst Christ, to live amongst the Jews." And um, where's David getting that from? He's getting it from the the um, not just the way the Mishkan is set up, but but what what we call the structure. What do we call it? A Mishkan. What does a Mishkan mean? Shachin. What is a shachin? What's a shachin? A neighbor. A neighbor. A neighbor. Shachin is someone who lives right next door to me. Someone that I'm close with. Someone that I have a, you know, a close relationship with. Someone that I have a camaraderie with. Shoichin means to dwell. And, and as the Pazik says, v'shochanti v'shoichom. Shochanti, make for me the structure so that I can live amongst you. I can live within you. I can live right next to you. So mishkan, the very, the very, very term mishkan, um, is a giveaway to what David is saying that the purpose of the Mishkan is there for us to be side by side, so to speak, good neighbors with God. God is there to be right next door to us, right amongst us. Shochanti, shoichena, shochen. The purpose of the Mishkan is to give shchenus, shchenus, chavershaft, we could say, chavershaft with the Rebbeinu Shalalem, a camaraderie with God, a neighbor. What kind, when you have a good relation with a good neighbor, what's a good relation with a good neighbor? You feel very hamish with him. You feel very at ease with him. You feel very comfortable with him. You don't mind knocking on his door at 10 o'clock at night and seeing if they have any sugar. You don't mind knocking on his door at 11 o'clock at night and seeing if they have any eggs. You don't mind knocking on the door at midnight and seeing if they have any canola oil, right? Now, they might mind, but you don't mind because they're a good neighbor, right? You know, they're a very good neighbor, so you, you certainly have no... No compunctions about knocking on the door at midnight. Thursday night, who isn't up at midnight? Who doesn't run out of things like sugar and eggs and canola oil? Midnight, Erev um, Shabbos Kodesh, right? So that's a neighbor. A neighbor is someone that, that, uh, that, uh, Avram, you have some new neighbors now, right? Some, some, some fresh supplies for eggs and uh, probably a little bit challenging there on Avon. Not many doors to knock on over there on Avon, right? Um, yeah, the Bachram probably knocking by the Aronsons all the time. Right, yeah. eggs and canola oil. Um, that's a shochin. That's a shochin. You feel very casual with them. Very casual. So the purpose of the mishkan was to give us that relationship with the rebbeinu shalom. That's on the one hand. But on the other hand, there's psukim that seem to directly contradict this, and, and give and give a very very different approach, a very different spin on what the mishkan was. There's another term that's used for the mishkan in in vayakel pekudei truman tetzava. What's the other term that's used for the mishkan? In the Torah itself, you don't have to wait for, say, for Molachim to see this. What? Mikdash. Sanctuary. Sanctuary. Very good. Excellent. Mikdash. And five points to Team Lindenbaum over there. Good for you. The, 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 the Mishkan is also called a Mikdash in the Torah itself. You know one example? Can you quote a Pasuk offhand where we find that? Um, Very good. Vasuli Mikdash. Excellent. Vasuli Mikdash. God says... Make a mikdash. Make a mikdash. It's called a mishkan. Mishkan has this connotation of very casual, very chummy with God. Mikdash, like Reb Herschel is t- pointing out, has the exact opposite connotation. What's a mikdash? A sanctuary. What's a sanctuary? Where there's something that's sanctified. What's sanctified? Separate. What? 
separate. That's right. Mikdash is Kadosh, 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 right? That's a Mikdash. Where we're in awe of God, where we are blown away by God. We we are we are we are intimidated and cowed and, and we, we are we are very very small in God's presence. That's what a sanctuary is. Where there's no there's no haversaft going on over there. I'm not casual with God, Are you nuts. I'm 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 in awe of God. I'm very very um, eclipsed, and I feel very small and humbled in God's presence. That's the whole point of a sanctuary. That's the whole point of a mikdash, and that's the response that we have when we're in a mikdash. The proper response is we feel the awesomeness of God, the grandeur of God, and the kedusha of God, and how we're so distant, we're so far away from that. We're humbled, awed, and, and is blown away by God. And that's Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish. I mean, every Kaddish is another degree of separation between us and God, another degree of elevation of God's grandiosity and grandeur and makes us so small and increasingly infinitesimally small and distant from God. Oh, we're getting there, we're getting there, we're getting there. Okay, it's good to be clever, but don't be too clever. Don't be too clever, we're getting there, we're getting there. Um, um, uh, yeah, this isn't your, this is not your bar mitzvah parish, is it? Well, it's even more impressive. Okay, six points then, six points. Not just five, we'll give you six points for that. So, um, uh, so that's what a mikdash is, right? And this construction is also called a mikdash. Here we have a big problem. A mikdash and a mishkan are two opposite things. They really are two opposites. A mishkan, the purpose of a mishkan is shachanti b'saycham, shchenus, being casual with God, being very at ease with God, being very comfortable with God, close with God. The mikdash is exactly the opposite. God is holy and, and uplifted and upraised and awesome, and I, I'm so small. And we seem to have two opposite spins going on in what the mishkan is all about. Is it mishkan? Is it a mikdash? And not only that, as yes, as Team Lindemann pointed out as well, we have both in the same exact pasuk. They're there in the same exact pasuk. So not only the Torah seems to be a little inconsistent, the Torah is like like shoving this in our face. Is shoving this in our face that there's two different elements going on in the Mishkan, two contradictory elements going on in the Mishkan. And says the Rebbe Shalom, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna jam those into one pasuk, and 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 good luck. Let's see what you do with that, right? Vaasuli mikdash, make for me a mikdash v'shachanti b'soicham. Make a place of grandeur, a place of awe, a sanctuary, so that I may live amongst you. A sanctuary, so I can live amongst you. These are two opposite things. What is it? Is it a mikdash? Is it a mishkan? Is it a mikdash or is it a mishkan? So here is a dilemma. What, what do we do with this? How do we solve this? Which one is it? How, how can we have both? It's either a mikdash or it's a mishkan. It's a place where God is awesome and we're so small, or it's a place where we have we have we have um, that camaraderie with God. But these are two opposite and contradictory types of of interactions. How do we balance this? How do, how do we navigate our way through this dilemma? What do we do with this dilemma? So the dilemma is like this. This dilemma can be repackaged. The mikdash element and the mishkan element can be repackaged in a certain familiar form. This idea of God being so great and awesome and grand and above us and us being so small, what we're calling mikdash, kadosh, is really also represented by one of the forefathers. Who is that? Which which one of the forefathers represents this type of attitude, this type of relationship, the mikdash relationship? Which one of the three forefathers? No? 
No? You guys are getting closer. Yitzchak. Very good. Awesome. Yitzchak. This is Yitzchak's Midah. Mikdash is Yitzchak. Yitzchak, we know, is always associated with, with Din, with... with, with um, what? Gevura. Excellent. Gevura, which means limitation, which means suppression, which means self-control, which is the, the idea of, you know, I, I'm limited because God is so might, mighty and almighty. So Yitzchak is always this idea of Mikdash. The Mikdash idea always goes hand in hand with Yitzchak. Yitzchak's Midah is Gevura, which is the idea of restraint and self-control because God is so awesome. How, how can I even lift a finger in God's presence? I'm so awed and blown away by God. So the Mikdash very much we see, if we repackage things, the Mikdash, that's Yitzchak. The Mishkan, on the other hand, the Shechenus, the dwelling, what? Is Avram. Very good. That's Avram Vida. It's the Midah of Chesed, of Ahava. Of love, of giving, of 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 being, of, of bonding, right? Avraminu, that's his tent. Everyone comes into his tent. Avram was the best neighbor, right? Avraminu, you could probably knock on his tent, four a.m. But there was nothing to knock on. Even you just walk into his tent at four a.m. You know, you have a you have a, a corkscrew, right? Avraminu could just waltz into his tent any time of the day or night. His midah is that of ahava, of chesed, of giving of camaraderie, of haversheft, of, of being casual and chummy and hamish with everybody. So it's very interesting. We see these two contradictory midas in the Mishkan. It's a Mishkan, but it's a Mikdash, and it's both in the same Pasuk. And we find also two different midas over here. We have Avram Yitzchak. We have Mikdash as Yitzchak, and we have, we have the, the Mishkan that's Avram. That's very clear. And we have this dilemma. So, so we good. So, so when we have Avram over there in that corner, Yitzhak in that corner, there's no dilemma because Avram does what Avram thinks and Yitzhak does Yitzhak things. Avram embodies and personifies the Midah of Chesed and Ahava. That's great. That's what Avram does when Avram is Avram. And Yitzhak, who is Yitzhak, he does Gevura things. He's the Mikdash. He has fear. There's no contradiction because they're two different people. But the, the, the prime is getting back to the Mishkan. Whether Yibayshim won from us, one structure, one building, is somehow both. It's for us to leave Mikdash. So what is it? Is it a Mishkan or is it a Mikdash? Is it a Mikdash or is it a Mishkan? And to ask that question more properly, what am I supposed to be doing in relating to God here? How am I relating to God in the Mishkan? The Mishkan is, in, is engendering what kind of relationship with the Rebbein Is it creating a Mikdash relationship or a Mishkan relationship? Is it a place where I'm supposed to be blown away by God and be very distant and see if God is so big and I'm so small? Or is it a place where I'm supposed to be at ease with God, casual with God, a shochem, have God as a neighbor. Which one? We need a balance. We need a way to balance those two extremes. Again, when Avram is in one corner, Yitzchak is in the other corner, that's great. Avram does Avram things, Yitzchak does Yitzchak things. We don't need that balance. But here we're, we're, we're being challenged with having to have both at the same time. We need a way of balancing both extremes. What's the meter? What's the kaych that balances both extremes? That's Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu is the Midah of Emes, of Tiferes, and that's always the Midah of balance. And that's why we call Tiferes. Tiferes means the glory. It, it, something glorious about being able to use this extreme, being able to have a hand on that extreme and a hand on this extreme, one foot here and one foot over there, and having a way to synthesize both. I can do both. I can actually do both. That's always the meat of Yaakov Avinu, the meat of Emes, having everything in the right place in the right time, being able to utilize everything properly in, in, a, in, a, in a splendid, glorious way. And this is what Chazal 
are doing when they make a link between Yaakov and the Mishkan. This is why Yaakov has to be the one to provide the wood for the Mishkan. Now back to the Chazal. Now we can crack this Chazal open. Yaakov has to be the one specifically to provide the wood for the Mishkan. <clears throat> why the wood? So the wood is what gives all of the stability to the Mishkan. The wood is, is the frame. The frame, what keeps the Mishkan up, what keeps the Mishkan standing, what gives the Mishkan its structure, its structure and stability and frame and tsura, we would say. The tsura of the Mishkan, the functioning of the Mishkan, the fact that there's a Mishkan there that can house everything, that is Yaakovinu's contribution. We need the Kayach of Yaakovinu in Klaistral to allow us to navigate what otherwise would be an impossible an impossible task, which is a Mishkan and a Mikdash, a Mikdash and a Mishkan. The Kayach of Yaakovinu allows us to have both. And Yaakov shows us that it's not just about Avram doing Avram things or Yitzchak only doing Yitzchak things exclusively. There's a way to, to synthesize and have both. And the Torah tells us what order you have to do them. What the Torah tells us with Yaakov's structure of the wood, how you do the Ba'azuli Mikdash, Vishakhanti Basaikam. Create a Mikdash, and then you'll go from a Mikdash to Vishakhanti. If you make a Mikdash, you make a place, a sanctuary, as Herschel so beautifully translated it earlier. Make a sanctuary. Start that way with the meat of Yaakov. Give it a structure, give it a stability, give it a tsura, and start off by relating to me there as uh, as being in a mikdash, and you'll be able to, to 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 transition from the mikdash to the mishkan. What does that mean? The starting point has to be has to be seeing <coughs> that that God is great and God is very distant and we're very far away, we're very small, and and we're very um, we're we're very reduced in God's presence, restraint, reduction. Self-control, we're extremely reduced. God is so vast and 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 unimaginably big, unimaginably um, grand and grandiose, and that creates the mikdash, the the, the kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. We're just blown away. Once we have that established, then we can immediately say, okay, that's true. That gives me a great idea, an amazing idea of who God is, what God is all about. And you know something. I want to have something to do with that. Even though I'm so small, even though I'm so distant, even though I'm so far away and God is so grand, but I want an opportunity to bond with that. That, that. There's nothing more glorious for me than bonding with something that seems to be so unattainable. Something that seems to be so grand and so vast, there's nothing that greater that I can do than stepping up to the plate with my own confidence, with my own impetus and saying, you know what, I want to have something to do with the rebellion. Afal Piking. Afal Piking. In spite of the fact that God is so great, in spite of the fact that I'm so distant, I want to bond with God nevertheless. That's the Vishakhanti Basaikum. And we see that that the the, the the synthesis of both is this expression of Afal Piking. That's really what it is. The nevertheless. Meaning if we don't have the starting point of the Mikdash, if we only have the Vishakhanti, there's no nevertheless. There's no I'm gonna join with God because why shouldn't I join with God? I'm gonna go give God a hug, why shouldn't I? God is I want, you know, God's right here. God's right here. That, that's that is the wrong way of bonding with God. And the other extreme, only to have the mikdash and not the shachanti, is also the wrong extreme because then we're living a life where we're constantly just suppressed and blown away and inactive. We we don't do anything because because the Hashem is so great. And I can't do anything, right? So the, the mikdash without the mishkan and the mishkan without the mikdash are both incorrect. 
for us, and, and that's not what we want. We want We want that synthesis, being able to say, God is great, I'm small, nevertheless, I want to have something to do with God, and I can have something to do with God. And putting the whole thing together, we have the Mishkan. That's why we need Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu is the one that, that, that gives the Kayef to Klai, so not just to be an Avram, not just to be a Yitzchok, but to be able to synthesize both of them together. And to, without Yaakov, again, just to say it as clearly as possible, without Yaakov, there's no room for us to say, nevertheless. Yaakov's Mita is the nevertheless. And that's Tiferis. That's our own splendor. That I can step up to the plate. I can be somebody. I can be someone who can make that balance and say, even though I'm so far away, God, nevertheless, I want to be close to you, and you'll allow me to be close to you. The nevertheless, that's Yaakovina's Mita. That's why Yaakov supplies the wood that go into the walls, giving the structure, and go into the pole that gives the stability. Okay, The walls are the structure. The pole is the stability. Both come from Yaakov Avinu. I want to throw something else in over here at this point, which is an amazing idea. There's another Chazal that goes hand in hand with the measures that Rashi brings down. Rashi doesn't bring them the second part. The first part Rashi brings down that the, the wood was the acacia wood that made it was made into the columns, into the beams that came from Yaakov. The pole was also acacia wood. Rashi doesn't get into that. Presumably, okay, that was also from a tree that was chopped in. There's a Yonason ben Uziel, who was from, from the Tanoim, who was a Tano, Chazal, Yonason ben Uziel. He says something amazing. He says, this pole that was the pole that, that went through the, 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 the walls and gave it its stability, gave stability to the structure. Where did that pole come from? You know what Yonason ben Uziel says? That pole was no less than the staff of Yaakov Avinu that Klaishal still had. The staff that Yaakov had, with my staff, I crossed the Jordan, right? Um, with this staff, is that, that's Yaakovina's staff, it was passed down from generation to generation within Klai Yisrael. They still had it in Egypt, they left Egypt with it, and they had this staff, Yaakovina was a tall person, it was a tall staff, I, I don't know if it was um, 50 Amos long, but... But it says the Anis of that they took the staff and they put it in the, the there was a socket, you know, the, 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 they bored holes through all the, the middle of all the columns, so for one long, one long, um, you know, socket, and they put Yaakovina's staff there, and the staff miraculously extended itself and made, you know, two 90 degree angles and went through all three walls. And when it was time to go, they would like withdraw the staff and the staff would, would retract. And, and pull back at. So it would telescope its way through all the walls and it would retract and come back at. The pole was also from Yaakovino and that was Yaakovino's staff. So you see something, again, something very big is going on over here with Yaakovino. Not only it's the acacia wood that he plants that form the, the walls of the Mishkan, it's his very staff that gives the stability to the structure that the walls provide. And again, the idea is because without Yaakov, we have two different extremes. We have a Mikdash and a Mishkan. Two extremes, we need Yaakovina to bridge those um, and balance those extremes. Let us have a hand on each extreme and, and let us synthesize both extremes and put them together. And that's what's happening with the, the walls, which give the structure and the pole that gives the stability. That being said, I just want to like read a Pasuk Rabbi Sait. And, and uh, which one? This is in Vayakel. Perek Lamed Vav. Pasuk Lamed Gimel. I just want to read a Pasuk, and I think Lor Kolanal, based on the whole Vart, and this whole idea of what Yaakov was there to provide, that the Mishkan has to be a Mishkan and a Mikdash, a Mikdash and a Mishkan, an Avram and a Yitzchak, and there's a way to synthesize both. 
and Klaus has to be able to put both extremes together. That's what the Mishkan was all about. Synthesizing and harmonizing two different extremes. And Yaakov prized that with the walls and with the pole. I just want to read a Pusik. And I think just reading the Pusik will 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 blow our socks off. You guys ready? You have it, Rebershal? Yes. What? Hold hold on to your socks, guys. Listen, listen to this Pusik. I'm reading a Pusik. And the Pusik is describing the inner pole. And remember again, Yanisim Nazil tells us the inner pole is Yaakov's pole. And we just went through a whole exploration of why it had to be Yaakov's pole. And what it's doing. Listen to this Pusik. Ayaz is they made the inner pole. You don't have it? Which is Lamed Vav? Lamed Vav, Lamed Gimel, 36, 33. 36, 33? That's the one. You got it now? Yes. Vayaz es habri They made the inner pole. That's the one that went through all the, 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 the beams to provide stability. Levrayach b'saycha krashim to give that stability inside the walls. Go from one extreme to the other extreme. Went from one extreme to the other extreme. It may be a chasidish ma'isa, chasidish shabbat, but it's such a beautiful one. It's mamashim before shapasik. This whole mahalach is a before shapasik, right? I don't think it's a chasidish shabbat. I think this is the emes lamitoi. Minak what? Levroyach. That's right. To span, to, 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 um... No, I'm saying, but it was, yeah, I mean, it pulled, but it was staff that was extending, so it was... Like, oh, that's why it's running. That's why it was, it was extending itself. Okay, yeah, okay. But, so that would be the Targum Viennese Benzio, but the Vart, the Vart behind the Targum, the Vart, why had the Akronus Paul is Levarech Menachotze Lakotze. It's there to span two extremes, to let us have the Mikdash, let us have the Mishkan. That's what Yaakovina provides, the Menachotze Elakotze. Because there's a funny word, Kotze Elakotze. There's not a Chassid Shad Rabbi, so this is Emes Lamito. This is the Pasuk in the Pasuk. Kotze is a funny term. Kotze means an extreme, right? Say, right? From the beginning to the end. Kotze Elakotze is a lesson of, 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 of like extremities. Extremities. The Territ says, yeah, the two different extremes, the two different meters. The Chesed and the Kavura, the Avon and the Yitzhak, and that's what Yaakovina's poll provides, because that's the Vart of the whole Mishkan is about the Mishkan and the Mikdash. Okay, we have two minutes left, so we have to say something about Parshas HaChadosh, because we said in the beginning we would say something about Parshas HaChadosh. So it's Parshas HaChadosh, and we read, we call it Parshas HaChadosh because we read the selection Parshas Boy of HaChadosh Hazel Lachem, and this is also in the book of Exodus, Reverschel. This is Perak Yud Beis, Pasuk Aleph. 12.1. Back in Parshas Boy. Chapter 12, verse 1. This month shall be the first of all months. This is going to be the first of the months of the year for you. So we know we, we were given the calendar, the Jewish calendar in this Pasuk. We were given the month system. Nisan is going to be the first month. But we were also given... The, the concept of not only Nisan is the first month, and not only we're given control of the calendar, but we're also given the lunar, this is where Klai is now based around the lunar cycle. Meaning without this Pasuk, theoretically we could have followed a solar year. Right? We could have followed a solar year, like so many other nations did and still do. Um, there's nothing stopping us from doing it, that. There's a Gzeus of a divine decree, in in boy, not only that let's you know let's let's go as far back as we as as, as we can. Not only that Nisan is the first month, and not only that we're in charge of the months, but that we work with the lunar month. That's also contained in this pasuk. Klaiso goes with the moon. We go with the moon. 
And the Pasik says, This shall be the beginning of the month. Hazeh always implies that we're pointing at something. This. What was God pointing at? So Rashi famously says, He was showing Moshe what the new moon looks like when it's time for Kiddush HaChodesh. Says um, Rashi, Niskasha Moshe al-Mayla Moshe was unsure about this whole process about sanctifying the new month based on the moon. How much of the moon do you have to see in order to do to, to, to sanctify the month? Hashem showed him the moon. When you see this, you see it looking like this, this is what you sanctify. Okay, so Maisha didn't understand this so well. What does it mean to see the new month based on the new moon? And to sanctify, Hashem showed him the new moon. So what Hashem showed him? Hashem showed him the, the, the sliver of the moon in the beginning of the month in the sky. The question is, what did Moshe have difficulty with? What was bothering Moshe? I mean, you can't, you have to see the moon, you can only see the moon at night. Um, in the beginning of the month. It's only visible at night, because it's right behind the sun, you're not going to see it during the day. It's visible at night, and only in the beginning of the month, only for the first, you know, few minutes after sundown, because it's right behind the sun. So sundown, it's washed out by the sun because it's so thin. So, you know, the first night, it's there for just for a few minutes. The second night, you know, maybe for another half hour, another half hour, another half hour, over the course of the of the month, uh, 45 minutes or so, hands on another 45 minutes or so every month, every night. Um, what, what did Moshe not get? I mean, what, 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 you just have to see the new moon in the beginning of the month. So the, the, the smallest sliver that you see, that's called the new month, that's called the new moon. What, what, what was Moshe's difficulty that God had, Moshe didn't know what the moon looked like, doesn't know what the, what the what sliver looks like, doesn't know what nighttime looks like. Kazera Eva Kadesh. That's right. So the briskers wouldn't have this kasha. That's right. The briskers would not have this kasha. But if we're going to be saying Torah, that's right. That's right. Rabbi Shmulevich is correct. But but for for the non-briskers, for the non-briskers, what, what was the difficulty of yours? So I'll say this very quickly. I'll say this very 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 quickly. I from your brisker. I'll say I'll say this very very quickly. But I'll say this quickly. It's slate. So say this quickly. Um. What was Moshe's difficulty? That's a really the question. What was Moshe, what would Moshe have schwer? As soon as you see the new moon, whatever you see, sanctify it. But Moshe has schwer is like this. We're being told in this politic that Kleiser works with the moon. Our new years, our yearly cycles based on the moon. We get that. Moshe gets that. The moon waxes and wanes. We get that also. It means the moon is representative of Kleiser, and we know as the moon. Waxes and wanes, Kleistral throughout our history. We wax and we wane, we wax and we wane. And although we wane, we always come back again. We even say that by, by Kiddush Levana, um, the moon renews itself and Kleistral renews itself. We are like the moon, we wax and we wane. So Maisha gets all that immediately. When Hashem says, you're going to be linked to the moon, your, your yearly cycle, cycle is going to be a lunar cycle. So Maisha says, ah, okay, we're going to wax and wane just like the moon. So when we're sanctifying the moon, we're really symbolically sanctifying Klai Yisrael also, which is what we speak at by Kiddush HaChodesh, Kiddush Levana, Kiddush Levana. Well, Moshe's difficulty is, if I want to sanctify the moon once a month, and that is connected to the sanctification of Klai Yisrael, why are we doing it on, on, on such a little sliver? We should wait till the moon is at its peak. You want to sanctify something that represents Klai Yisrael? Let's do it when we're at the height of our powers, when we're at our peak, when we're at a when we're magnificent in our strength, that's when we should do it. I don't get it. Why are we doing it in the beginning of the month, like towards the beginning of the month, when there's when there's barely anything there? 
let's wait till Mamish, the midpoint of the month, Kla Yisrael is as powerful as we can get. That's what we should be sanctifying. Rebunisham so shows him the, the smallest possible sliver, Kazer Re'eh the Kadesh. No, this is what I want you to sanctify because what we glorify is not when we're at the height of our powers, but the potential, the ability to get there, the raw potential that each and every one of us have. And that's what I want you to sanctify every single month. That's what I want you to celebrate every single month. That is what I want you to dance about every single month, our unlimited potential. When you sanctify the middle of the month, that's it. We're as full and as fat as we can get, Rabbi Isai, right? The moon is as bloated as it can get in the middle of the month. You're celebrating being bloated, being totally full? No. Ayid celebrates the half empty, not the half full. So, you know, the cliche always is that if somebody says the cup is, is half empty, that's that's a pessimist. That's not who we want to hang out with. He says, no, the cup is half full. But the Rebbe says, no, we glorify the, the half empty. And the more empty it is, the happier we are. There's barely any Dr. Pepper in the cup. That's what you should celebrate. Why? Because look how much room I have to grow. Look how much I have to fill myself up. Look, at, look how much potential I have. Look how much of a clea I have to be macabre. You know, we get so excited by a bris. Zach, Katon, Godel, yeah, we're celebrating the fact that he's a Katon. Because look how he can become great. We don't celebrate the the the, 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 the we celebrate the Katnus because the Katnus shows us how much room there is for our avoid, for our growth, for our development. This is where you celebrate Klai Yisrael. This is where you signify and symbolize Klai Yisrael because we're all about getting super excited about our ability to grow, our potential, which is always unlimited. The relationship should give us so much potential always to grow and always to shtag, and uh, everyone should have a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you for joining us.